did you come to have church today? Is that what it is? I, wow, that was, that was almost church right there. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to Journey. Um, we've been in this study called Traveling Light, kicking off the 2017 with it. And I know that some of you haven't been with us for the whole series, and some of you, it may be your very first time with us. So let me just quickly catch us up to speed. Our, our idea with this series was, as we start a new year, God has plans for each of us, purposes for each of us in 2017. Some of those He may be revealing to us already. Some of those we're going to discover as we go through the year. Uh, maybe goals or, or some personal changes that He wants us to make, experiences, type of people that He wants us to become uh, in the 12 months that's 2017. But there are also things in our life that are going to get in the way of that. So we could have started 2017 talking about new things we need to start in order to be who God's called us to be. We decided to start 2017 asking, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to take out of my life? And that's why we called it Traveling Light. You need to unpack some things, take them out of your luggage, your baggage, as you go through 2017. So we started with, uh, you, need to, you need to get rid of regret in your life. Like this constant reliving the past that you can't change. I mean, you can't undo what happened in the past. You can't undo the decision you made or the words you spoke or how this particular relationship went. You can't go back and undo that. So it's not healthy. It's not productive to keep carrying around regret and condemnation about that thing. There's a place to learn from the past. There's a place to repent and get it right with God. But constantly reliving the mistakes of the past won't help you in 2017. Then we said, just like regretting the past doesn't help you, worrying about the future doesn't help you. So worrying about what's happening in February or this summer or what might happen this year... It's not going to help you become the person that God wants you to be. You need to leave that behind as you move in 20, into 2017. And then we said last week that distractions, and we're surrounded by distractions, but there are all these things that try to pull us off of who God wants us to be or pull us off the things that really matter, the things that are important and are going to last forever. Uh, Jesus told the parable of the four souls, and one of them he talked about a, a seed that starts to grow, but then all the cares of the world chokes it out like thorns, divides up our thinking, distracts us from where we're supposed to be going. And so don't let that happen to you. Now, we're going to wrap up uh, with another item we need to leave behind. But let me admit that I'm cheating just a little bit with this last one because when I tell you what you have to give up, I'm also kind of telling you what you need to add. This, this is more of a pick B and not A. Uh, sort of sort of message. The problem is what many of us are drawn to in this area, we're drawn to it because we found a sense of security there. We found maybe some protection there. Like this particular way of living my life keeps me from getting hurt, and I understand that. I'll say more about that in just a minute. It, it keeps me from bad moments and bad relationships if I live this way, and yet living that way is not ultimately the way you were created, nor is it ultimately what's the healthiest for you. So here it is. In 2017, I'm, challenge, I'm challenging you to give up isolation. I'm challenging you to give up 
distance in your relationships. Don't, don't keep everybody at arm's length. Now, that's difficult uh, for some of us, a lot of us. It, it, I alluded to one of the reasons. If you're older than 12, you've been disappointed in relationships, right? I mean, if, if, if you're 13 or older, somebody's let you down. Somebody's promised one thing and then they didn't do it. Or you expected something or you trusted them with something and they broke that trust. We've all experienced that. And we all go through those times where we think, well, I'm just not going to put myself out there anymore. Like, I'm just not going to have that sort of open, close relationship. with them. I'm not going to try to build a, a real friendship with somebody because I was hurt in the past. I get it. That makes this difficult. Uh, Another issue uh, that we have is we live in a culture that prides itself on being self-made. We pride ourselves on being able to do things alone. Kids at a very young age begin to say, do it myself. Did your kids ever say, do it myself, daddy? Do it myself, mommy. It's like in us, this this idea that no, I don't need any help. I can handle this. I got it. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to let anybody in sex. I can handle this, and, but you can't handle it. Now, we're not going to get into all of that detail, but the truth is you and I can't handle everything in our life, and we weren't created to handle everything. God said, look, I'm going to give you people who will come around you and love you, and yet sometimes they'll disappoint you, but, but, but they're going to add something to your life. That makes getting isolation out of our life a challenge. Schedules make it a challenge. We're busy people. Even if we aren't busy, we like to tell people we're busy, right? Because it makes it sound important. Oh, I'm busy. i got so much to do. Yeah, and maybe you are. But you and I have got to fight against that. We've got to prioritize relationship in order to become the people that Jesus wants us to become. Now, this last challenge to getting isolation out of your life, I'll admit it's a little subjective, but I'm just kind of observing life, and, I, and, and I'm seeing this one a lot, and here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing there is a new boldness among introverts. Has anybody noticed this? That like introverts are like they're more courageous about their introvertedness, and they want you to know that they're okay without you. Right? There's this, there's there's like this come at me, bro, going on with introverts right now. Like, yeah, I tell you. And and look, I get it. I am by nature, DNA, personality, whatever. I am by nature introverted in the sense that I I recharge my batteries by being along. I like you. I like being with people. I like hanging out. But like if I need to really recharge, I've got to get away. And so I, I, I get it where we're coming from. If you're an introvert, I'm one of you. Um, I, I, I was online this week. And somebody that I won't mention, they posted a meme. They'd actually sent it to another friend. They posted a meme from this Facebook page called Life of an Introvert. That's really a Facebook page. You can go check it out. Some of you have already liked it because I saw your name when I went to check it out. Life of an Introvert. And in spite of just a stellar message on distractions last week, I spent like 20 minutes going through Life of an Introvert and looking at all the memes. And here's a couple of them that I found that I thought were important to today. Like this first one. I love it when people think they're going to punish me by not talking to me. Okay, this this is the introvert way. Here's another one. I don't have a squad, but I know like four or five people who probably don't want me to die. (laughs) 
some of us here today. Yes. Here's the one that kind of started it all. This is the first one I saw. Sorry, but I don't answer private numbers or numbers that I don't know or anyone ever also don't call me. <clears throat> and then this last one for introverts. Best feeling ever. It's like nobody around. Just me, nobody. That's what I'm saying. Introverts have developed this kind of bravado about their introvertedness. Um, And that's not to say that extroverts are great at relationships either. Um, Because uh, extroverts, we know that you can talk to the wall. We get it. We know that you can carry the lunch meeting like you're the life of the party. And you obnoxiously go on and on and on. But sort of the, the, the struggle on the extroverted end can be... Yeah, you can talk to everybody, but do you have people really in your life that you're close to? Like, you can talk about the news and politics and social stuff, and you can carry the conversation, but are you deeply building into the lives of other people and letting them build into your life? Now, there's nothing wrong with being an extrovert. There's nothing wrong with being an introvert. You didn't really choose it. It's just kind of your personal makeup. You didn't choose either one of them. But it is wrong adopting an antisocial approach to all of life, right? especially when the God that we serve has this characteristic of community about him. Uh, from, the be- from the very beginning, God introduces himself to us as a God who exists in perpetual community. We call it the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and our minds are too human and small to understand everything about that. But the Bible is clear that this is a reality about God. He's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so much so that in Genesis 1, when when God gets ready to create the world, the universe, He says, let us create, let us do this, this relational community that is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then Jesus, the Son, one part of this, of this trinity, Jesus comes to earth. One of the first things Jesus does as an adult is begin to establish relational community. Now, we have the Christmas story, the, the birth narratives of, of Jesus. And then we have a short little story when Jesus was about 12. But then really the biography of Jesus begins as an adult... And what we see immediately as Jesus begins his ministry is he begins to say, I want you to be around me, and I want you to be around me, and I want you to hang out with me, and I want you to walk with me, and I want to talk to you, and we're going to spend our life together. There is this intentional creation of relational community from Jesus to what we come to call uh, his disciples. You're going to be with me. We're going to walk together. We're going to talk together. We're going to hang out together. We're going to share our life together. So that happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We're going to fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry. Right before Jesus is crucified, dies for us and rise again, he meets with those, that same group of people, that same community of people, and he shares the Lord's Supper. Passover is what he was sharing with them. The Passover feast He shares communion with them, what we call communion now. And he teaches them all kinds of things. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of fast forward through what was happening that night. But John, in chapters 13 through 17, John tells us all of these things that Jesus said 
in the upper room. So I, I, I'm going to be in John chapter 15 as he's talking to his disciples, his, his friends, and, and he's about to be betrayed. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So here's this relational God becomes flesh, establishes relational community, is about to die, and he says, Look, this is what I want. This is what I'm commanding you. Love each other. And there are other places in the Bible that tell us to love people outside of the faith and, and that we should love all people. Jesus is specifically saying to his followers, I want you to demonstrate love to one another. I, I, I want there to be a commitment in your relationship where you love one another. What you've experienced with me, this relational community you've had with me for the past three years, I don't want it to stop. I want you to continue that. I want you within my family, I want you to love one another. And then he adds in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It kind of underscores, Jesus says, like, I'm really serious about this. Like I, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about just saying, hey, yeah, I love you, man. I, that's not what I mean. I, I mean you're committed to one another, like you sacrifice for one another. You really care about one another. It's not just a slogan. It's not just something you say when you see somebody, but you are really committed to relational connection and loving one another. Verse 14. You are my friends, Jesus speaking to the disciples, you are my friends. If you do what I command, which let's be honest, and if you're skeptical of religion and Jesus, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you read that line, and that does seem kind of odd. If, you know, if you went up to somebody and said, hey, I'll be your friend as long as you do whatever I tell you to do, that would be kind of an odd way to start a friendship. This isn't the beginning of their friendship. This is after they've had years together, and maybe what Jesus is saying is, look, I know all about you. Like, I created you. I created everybody. I know what best works in your life, so trust me. Like, we're going to be close to the degree that you trust me, and when I tell you something, you know this is for your good, so you're going to want to do it. Then, kind of the biggie verse, verse 15. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead... I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus, God, takes on flesh, lives a perfect life, is getting ready to die, and he turns to his community, his group, the guys he's been in relationship with, and says, I want you to understand how I see our relationship. And the way I see our relationship is you are my friend. You are friends with God. You are friends with the Son of God. If you go back through the Old Testament, thousands of characters, hundreds of names, specific names. There's only one guy in all the Old Testament that specifically gets called God's friend, and it's Abraham. Uh, for example, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. One of the kings is giving a speech to the nation, and he says, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Over in the New Testament, James is talking about Abraham. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. One guy in all of the Old Testament gets that title specifically, your God's friend. Here's Jesus at the end of his life and he says to all of his followers in that room, all of the disciples, I'm calling all of you that. It's not, this wasn't just for Abraham. This is not just for one guy. All of you are my friend. And, and we're his disciples today. We're his followers today. So it's reasonable to think, but Jesus is passing that term on to us. That's, that's the way we relate to God the Son. He's our friend. Now, if we're to love one another, if Jesus was establishing a model, if he was establishing, look, this is the way I want you to interact with each other, what did it look like? What did it look like to be a friend of Jesus while he was on earth? A couple of suggestions. One is the relationship that they shared, this friendship that they shared, the relationship was a place where they could share openly. Like they could talk about whatever. Like they could bring anything up. As a matter of fact, Jesus just said in, in verse 15, everything I learned from my Father I've made known to you. Like I'm giving you everything. Like I'm not holding back. I'm not keeping secrets from you. We have this open, honest relationship that we can share and we can talk. That's what friendship is. It's finding people. Certainly Jesus is that for us. But finding other people in our life that we can sit down and we've spent enough time with that we can say, hey, let me, let me share some things with you. I need to get some things off of my chest. I need to get some advice from you. And I, I understand that you can't do that with just anybody. It would be weird to do that with just, just to stop somebody in the parking lot and go, hey, can I download some things on you? That would be weird and you probably would have trouble making friends after that. But... We all need some people in our lives. We need some people that we trust. That they're not going to hold back and we're not going to hold back. And we're not keeping secrets. And we're, we're committed to each other's life and health and spiritual growth. Another characteristic. The relationship that Jesus had with his followers that he then calls friends was given time to develop and deepen. This didn't happen overnight. Jesus didn't even use the word friend early on. Right? He probably thought of them that way. He knew they were headed that way, but he didn't use that language because like all relationships, they need time. Right? They need time to deepen and strengthen and, and get to a point where you can trust one another with thoughts and opinions and, and ideas. That's what we see with Jesus and his followers. They'd spent three years together. Now, who knows how many miles they had traveled together, and travel back then was walking. So just a lot of conversation. Who knows how many hundreds of topics they had covered as they were going from place to place. Who knows how many meals they sat down and they ate together and they just talked about stuff. This is the way relationships work. Time. A priority of I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit to this person, I'm gonna commit to this group of people. So that we can eventually get to a place where our friendship can grow. It does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, one of the challenges in a new church, or any church really, 
is that most of us have memories of other friendships or relationships or groups we were in. And we have a tendency to compare that group after years of being together with the group I just entered that's only been together two weeks. Which is not a real good comparison. I mean, back then, it took that group some time to get to know each other, to feel comfortable with each other. And so my challenge to you would be, give relationships some time. Invest in some people. Prioritize some relationships. Another element of time that we see in Jesus' friendship to his disciples is that they cheered successes and they confronted problems. When you read the Gospels, you find this happening. There were times that Jesus said to his friends, man, you, that is awesome. You get it. That's the best answer you could have given. That is exactly right. Way to go. God helped you understand that. That's incredible. And then there were other times when Jesus looked at his friends and said, that's a terrible answer. That's a terrible decision. Like, don't ever say that again out loud. Everybody will know you don't know what you're talking about. Like, don't say that. So they had enough time together that the encouragement meant something. Doesn't encouragement from people who really know you mean more than people who don't know you? Like, they've seen you. They know your past. They know your struggles. And boy, when they encourage you, it, it means something deeper. That's what Jesus and the, and the disciples understood. But also, those are the same people who have permission to say, Hey, let me talk to you about something because I love you. Hey, let me tell you what I'm seeing, and and maybe I'm totally missing it, but as your friend, I just feel like I need to say this to you. That is a function of time, the ability to celebrate successes and the ability to walk through some challenging conversations. That's the function of time. Another characteristic, they committed their lives to something bigger than themselves. Jesus and the disciples, their relationship was not just about this world and getting through this day. They were committed to a kingdom that's bigger than this kingdom. They were committed to seeing the God of the universe do something that only He could do. They were committed to being so faithful to Him that He would work miracles in their lives, that He would change people, that He would heal people. They were committed to something bigger than just, hey, we're going to be friends, even though that's, that's important. It, it, it's one of the great things about being connected relationally in the church is that we're, we're not just here to sing some songs and hear somebody talk. We're here because we believe there is a God ruling over the universe who wants to do incredible things in the lives of people. And we want to be a part of that. We want to see that happen. We want to see the gospel go forth. We, know what, we want to see lives change. We want to pe- see people surrender themselves to Christ and have their eternity change. Know that when they die, they're going to live forever with Jesus. We want to see people struggling who get set free. We have things that have a hold on them. And because we pray with them and we study God's word together and we encourage them, they're set free. We want to see marriages that get strengthened and and healed, maybe even put back together. 
as God's people, loved by Him, a friend of His, our relationships are about more than this world. We are committed to something bigger than ourselves. Now, perhaps the greatest tragedy of this past election that we're still trying to survive is the relational carnage that it created and continues to create. Um, Elections are always divisive, and, and people have different opinions. I don't remember, and I'm, I'm like 30 years old, so I remember some elections. <laughs> you don't have to laugh about that. <clears throat> I'm older, much older than 30. I've seen plenty of elections, and, and I've always been pretty attuned to what was happening politically in the country. I'm just an interest. I, I've never seen us walk through an election where people publicly declared that they were no longer going to be friends with somebody who voted differently than them. And that's what we've seen. I mean, if you haven't seen that, you're not paying attention. Because that, people publicly saying, I'm not going to be your friend anymore if you tell me you voted for this person. I have never seen that come out of uh, a, a national discussion or an election. But that's what we're seeing. Seeing people say, well, you, you, if you did that, then I'm not your friend anymore. And it's not just social media. There's a lot of unfriending happening on social media. But, I mean, like, people really are severing relationships. And there was an article right after the election about a journalist. <clears throat> he wrote this article and he said, My wife and I have decided to cancel our annual Christmas party because we can't be sure Who of our friends voted for whom? And we don't want anybody who voted for this candidate to come to our Christmas party. So we're just not having a Christmas party. This is the craziness. And admittedly, journalists are wacky anyway. This just kind of goes with the flow. If you're a journalist, I'm sorry. My first roommate in college was a journalism major. Crazy. Crazy. I, um, it was like the random lottery thing, like you sent in and you got who you got. Uh, when, I, when I went to uh, South Carolina, I, knew, I only knew one other per- person that was going to South Carolina at the time. And my parents frowned upon me rooming with her. So I had to go through this lottery. <clears throat> I, I had to do the whole, yeah, I'm going to stay in this dorm. Give me who I get. And I got a journalism major, major, wacky, crazy. Maybe they're not all that way. Nonetheless... In spite of this article about Christmas party, the reality is the temperature and tenor and tone of our country has very much been us and them and those people and they. And yet, we're a people commanded by our God and our Savior to love one another. Another. A commanded. It's not a suggestion. It's not it would be nice. If we're followers of Jesus, he says to us, now you love one another. Doesn't mean we always agree. Doesn't mean we can't have good productive discussions. I, I don't in any way think that we're going to change the temperature of our culture next week. But I know what we're called to do. 
is to love one another. So that they would see something here that they don't see anywhere else. So that people outside of the family of God would see a love and a compassion and a caring among God's people. We're not them here. We're not those people. We're one another here. We're one another in the family of God. And the command is love one another. Now, journeys like a lot of churches, uh, we, have a, we have a process to try to help you get in relationship with other people, to try to help you be in other people's lives and encourage them and, and love one another. It's not a perfect process. It's not the only process. It's a process we have right now. And it's our community groups. And I think Jono mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's groups of people that meet around the city a couple of months at a time. And they study together and they, they eat together and, and they hang out together. And we want you to be in one of those. We want you to prioritize the time that will be necessary to build friendships and relationships in the family of God as Jesus asked us to do. When you came in, you got a brochure, and it has the groups that are going to be offered, where they're going to meet, what nights they're going to meet. Some, meet, some are going to be more convenient for you than others. That's why we offer groups at different times and different days and different places, so that you can work your schedule around where you could get in a group. Now, we're doing something a little different this semester. We're all going to be studying the same content. Uh, it's a content written by a missions uh, agency, but it's called the Life Study. It's nine weeks about nine different topics related to life. And, and the question is, how do I bring this topic under the Lordship of Christ? How do I view this area of my life with a kingdom eternal spirit? Perspective, And we're just going to go through each one of those, and your community group's going to discuss them. I'm going to be teaching on that topic. If you want to get a copy of the workbook, it's optional, but it's $10 at guest services. The workbook has three days of devotional work. It's short, but uh, if you don't have a devotional time, this would be a great way to start. Just a couple of days a week, a little bit of reading, a couple of questions. And then that will go along with what I'm going to be preaching. That will go along with what you're going to be talking about in your community group. And just each week, I'm going to teach on it. Some of you are going to do the work here, and then you're going to get together with your community group, and you're going to deepen your discussion of that particular topic. We want you to be in a group. We'll create more groups. That would be awesome if we had to create some more groups because we had so many people who wanted to be Apart, but my challenge to you is get in relationship with people. Give it priority. Give it time. Invest of yourself to love one another. Now, on the same night that Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another, he also shared the Passover with them. And at the end of the Passover, he says, look, we're going to add this little part, and that's what we celebrate today. We're going to add this part, and it's going to be about my body being broken and my blood being spilt. And the disciples had no clue what he was talking about at that point. But we know Jesus was about to lay down his life for our sins so that we could be forgiven and rescued for all eternity. And Jesus told his followers, just like he told them to love one another, 
He said, look, I want you to keep doing this because I don't want you to ever forget that you are loved by God enough that he would send his son to die for you. And, and, and the early church, this is primarily why they came together in the early, early days. They came together to remember this and get their mind back around the sacrifice of Jesus. So we're going to end our service with that today. I'm going to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would come and you would remember that Jesus is our friend, not because of us, but because he was willing to die for us. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading in John 15, he says, look, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Like, like I wanted to be friends with you. I wanted to be in relationship with you. So we're going to come and celebrate. I would encourage you to, to come with a group. Come with your family or come with a couple of friends and, and take the bread and dip it in the cup and share the Lord's Supper together. You don't have to be a member here at Journey. Just If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Let's celebrate. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us this tangible, tasteable rem reminder that Jesus desired to be in relationship with us so much that he paid the price for it. He desired our, our, our friendship. He, he de desired our forgiveness and salvation so much that he would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled so that we could have salvation. And so in this moment, remind us that he calls us his friend. He calls us his family. And then send us out to love one another as Jesus has loved us. I pray it in Christ's name.